I'm Taffer. I'm Caddy. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! So before we start, we want to take the time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some day, some time today and every day to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the indigenous communities of that area. One of the things that's going on in Canada right now is a bunch of white Canadian uh, lobster fishers are very angry at a bunch of indigenous lobster fishers um, and being really awful towards them. So if you're local, uh, you might want to look into that and maybe write some letters or something. Mm-hmm. And this is also relevant because this week we were super excited to read Charming as a Verb by one Ben Philippe. Um, and Montreal actually plays a really sweet little role in this uh, in this story. Um, so Charming as a Verb is the story of, uh, of Henri uh, <laughs> Halti Wanger. Um, and I want to say that this is a hard name to pronounce, and I love that everyone calls him Halti in the book. Um, so who lives in New York City. Uh, he's the child of a super in uh, a big uh, building in uh, the Upper West Side who goes to uh, a very fancy arts and technology high school. Uh, along with a bunch of privileged youth, and um, is in his senior year, and therefore tackling that big life transition from, you know, from from adolescence into emerging adulthood. Um, I think that's the best uh, the best way to put it. This is a really interesting coming of age story that talks about great themes, like we talk about immigration, poverty. Um, peer pressure, shame, all kinds of, like, all the things that we we, we love to talk about, and obviously, love. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, there's, there's a good amount of cheese in this book, and it's great. Um, I loved it. Teffer, how'd you feel about this one? I also loved it. And, I mean, it comes, it, it'll come to no surprise for people who heard my interview with Ben last year or know that I literally ran with a baby strapped to me in order to get him to sign my copy of his first novel, The Field Guide to the North American Teenager. I really, I am a big Ben fan. I was very excited for this book. But also a little bit, you know, there's always a, a little bit of hesitation when you're coming to a first book when you really loved an author's debut because uh, sometimes, and I will say actually, track record on this show is that the second books tend to be spectacular and we haven't actually had one disappoint in a very long time. But you know, you always, you never know. Man, oh man, this was great. I didn't know it was possible, but I liked it even better than The Field Guide to the North American Teenager, which I loved very much. There are so many themes that that I really appreciated. And I think one of the things that I love about Ben Philippe as a writer is that his writing is hilarious. He's a very funny writer. He uh, oh, yes. he talks a lot about the influence of American sitcoms on his development as a writer. And I think that 
really shines through. He has an extremely like dialogue heavy writing with a lot of character to it. The emotional themes that run through the book are really deep and it has a lot of soul. And I will say that like funny, this book made me laugh out loud a number of times. Funny books that have a lot of soul are one of my absolute favorite things in the world. So yeah, big fan of this. Also, got to admit, I am crushing real hard on Halty, you know, assuming that he was 18 when I was 18 and everything's not weird age gap yeah, yeah. wise. But I, he, yeah, he's, yeah, big crush on him. What a charming character. <laughs> I think that that's, I think, I think, you know, the title gives us exactly what we get we are charmed as a reader throughout this book i really was charmed by the characters by the unconvention um the unconventionality of the the, the is that even a word unconventionality i think, I think it could so. be a word i'm calling it a word um but yeah some of these characters are, are are unconventional but at the same time very familiar which I loved. Um, it made me feel really. Uh, it made me feel seen to a certain extent. Um, there's 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 a lot of, you know, similar similar life events uh, in the in this story of Halty and myself. I think you know, coming from just an immigrant family is huge and there is something really really comforting about the way that he describes this immigrant family um you know they're hardworking. uh the the hungry uh halty wangers mm -hmm. uh the oh, sorry the halty wanger hunger yeah. is a big thing it's like their family motto um which is lovely like they're hard workers but there's also a lot of love in their family um which made me really happy because we tend to depict a lot of, I mean, we tend to see a lot of families that are immigrant, just the focus is on the struggle. And sometimes we forget the unity. And this really did it for me. Like, it was nice. There's there, there's a, a fabulous moment um, that is full of humor, and but that also just made me feel like Ben Philippe was excellent at writing about the mundane with such humor, um, where Halty is doing his hair in the bathroom <laughs> and his dad keeps knocking at the door because he wants to poop and I loved that moment so much it's so small but I was like seriously anyone who grew up in a family with like one bathroom um, where everyone's duking it out to do their business <laughs> duking it <laughs> <laughs> um, can relate to this like it, it, it just yeah it was it was very lovely and loving um, of a context, which I think is really really important when depicting uh, immigrant families, and I think maybe it's the French side. Um, uh, Halti is from uh, his parents are Haitian, um, and so is Corinne, uh, the other uh, protagonist of the story. And I don't know, there's just the references maybe to the food that's really familiar to me and really delicious and the jokes about white people not seasoning their food enough <laughs> and and things like it, it was just it it was it was familiar i would have loved this book as a teenager like i would have been obsessed with this story as a young adult and uh, i can tell you i love it and i'm obsessed with it as an adult as well that that scene with the poop <laughs> 
<laughs> not not with the poop, but the bathroom, <laughs> the bathroom sharing scene. Also, it was like a little like surprise awe moment. It was like a little surprise moment of recognition of like, yeah, yeah, my family is like this too. Um, growing up, I mean, just because my family was huge and having that that little like, well, just just poop while I'm doing my hair because I have to do my hair, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I, it's not honestly not unfamiliar to my current family either. Really appreciated that. There's also a moment when um, when they go to visit Korean's aunt, uh, and she says, "Make yourself at home. Go take a poop." I think it's great. Like, I mean, it's it really is a testament to the mundane, right? Yeah. Like, because this is stuff that, like, I mean. In all the books we've read, not many um, talk about our bathroom needs. And I think that it is important to note that when people feel comfortable, then they can poop. And there are a lot of poop-shy people. Mm -hmm. And I hope they feel cared for in this book. I cannot believe how, how much I didn't realize I was missing poop talk in books. But, like, yeah, more more yes. talking about poop in books, I think. Uh, yes, yeah, please. Everybody poops. I think that's the thing, is it's incredibly human. Um, another big human theme here is, um, you know, let me put my little Marxist hat on. Uh, maybe Tom can put, like, the, the, the Soviet uh, Red Army... Uh, national anthem um i can't believe i said soviet Uh, (laughs) i have just dated myself um but if we you know like the class wars are real Mm. right this is Mm. a story of a young man who while rubbing shoulders with a certain elite is not doesn't live that reality And it's really, really nice because we're also talking about the college admission admission process. And, you know, this is this is a young man who's 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 I mean, I don't want to say hustling because like he runs a dog walking service. And I don't know that that's a hustle, but it's you know, he's he's ingenious. He's Mm -hmm. he's creative. He's always looking for ways to take care of himself, take care of his family, participate, you know, and and he strives for more, but he doesn't just strive for more for himself. There is a really important theme about about the parental dreams Mm -hmm. that are that are put into him as a child of immigrants. And boy, oh boy, did that ring true? Yeah, absolutely. I one of the things, one of the kind of storylines that unfolds that I really appreciate in this book is that um, you know, he has this dream of going to Colombia and that's kind of the central struggle of the book is will he get into Colombia or not. But he also has this dream He's like a real sneakerhead and he has this dream of designing sneakers and and that being his career. And he has just never allowed himself to take that seriously at all. But not really for any particular reason. And he doesn't really have any particular other career goal in mind. He just has a big, well, I can't do that. So that resonated really deeply with me because I think as a teenager, I did that to myself as well actually to the point of like not applying to the schools I wanted to go to which he like kind of almost does it was really I feel like often when we get that story of the parental dreams transferring to the children 
we get a kid who really knows what they want to do and kind of like wants to resist their parents and there's like a conflict there and I in this book I feel like there's not so much a conflict and I think that's probably honestly more common where a kid has been raised with their parents dreams so firmly uh-huh. infused in them that they don't the idea of kind of struggling or resisting or something doesn't really occur you just kind of get it in your head of like well this is what I'm doing and I I think probably there are more kids who do that than there are you know 15 16 year olds who have the drive to resist their parents and do something else that's so true that's so so true I remember when I started going to SAGEP so that's uh what happens in Canada after you well in Canada in Quebec let's be honest um (laughs) after five years of middle and high school it's kind of strange after grade 11 um so two years of like sort of prep for university um I had started studying sciences like hard sciences uh because I very much had this like immigrant parent narrative um that had been no I hadn't been pressured I think I had more um it had been suggested as such an interesting life choice you know this idea of like go become a doctor open Mm -hmm. as many doors as possible you can you can recycle yourself in the arts once you have a steady scientific career Mm -hmm. very familiar (laughs) yeah at this point I think it's just uh, you know it's the capitalist dream let's let's just name it um but yeah so I remember having that conversation with my parents when I made the decision to you know to change into an arts program and and I expected it to be like war in my family I expected my parents to like kick me out and not for any other reason than like you know you come from immigrant parents they tell you how hard they've worked. You internalize that and project all of that stress on everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything worked out fine. But I thought that it was really interesting to see, you know, some of those feelings. You know, why is Colombia so important to 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 Halti? It's because it's part of his dad's dream and he's integrated that fully and as he starts discovering you know his own interests and exploring outside and is given permission I really like the fact that he's sort of encouraged to go look outside of uh outside of the 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 boxed in dream Mm -hmm. um you know, there's a really interesting personal development moment that happens as well, where where he really goes through growth and he turns into he really does go from from young man to to man, uh, in a certain sense in this book. Yeah, he starts taking himself seriously and and his own desires seriously, um, and that's a really exciting path to take. And I think the message that comes through that's really great is. A message that every teenager could stand to hear, which is if you are passionate about something and confident in your passion for it, then people are going to get on board. Yep. And I love that there's also, um, so in Halty's family, um, his mom changes professions. Yeah. And um, she becomes a firefighter. And I think that that's part of it as well, right? Like he grows up in a family where his dad is is definitely doing like kind of a survival job to ensure that there's a base level for their family. And the mom is given the, like the mom is able to, to, to have that agency Mm -hmm. and to turn around and say, 
this is what I want. And I'm going to be on probation and have terrible schedules and we're going to make it work and I'm going to prep food for you all and I'm going to train like a mofo. I think at some point um, Halty mentions that his mom's delts are starting to grow delts, which made me laugh as someone who likes to lift. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I I love that, that modeling, I guess, within the family of like, you can start over and be okay. I'm so glad you brought that up because I love that that storyline. First of all, because like badass having a mm-hmm. woman with a teenage son deciding, you know what, I really want to be a firefighter and I always have like immigrant woman with yeah. a teenage son, black immigrant woman yeah. with a teenage son. That is not who I picture when I think FDNY exactly. or any firefighter. Exactly. Yeah. So super, super cool. Uh, really inspiring to me, actually, as somebody who like had kids young and went through a little period of feeling like I had no career prospects because I had children young, because that is a message that Mm. our society gives people which sucks because it's not true um <laughs> it's evidenced by me now having a fine career but uh <laughs> I, I found that just so inspiring that like having this woman who had had her career that she had that she like put food on the table for her family with and like got her son through school and then going okay my kid has grown it's time for me to do what I want to do such a great story such a great example for her kid and I, I think you're absolutely right that that's one of the things that kind of enables uh, Halti to make the choices he makes. And also we get to see um, his parents as two distinct different people who still love each other and get along. And and it's not set up as like a big conflict or anything, but you do through the conversations he has with each of them get to see the way they're talking to each other independently and shaping each other. And and you get to see this just, like, beautiful, really healthy relationship between them that's just really kind of subtly folded into the narrative. Absolutely. I think that we've spoken so many times uh, about, you know, the absent adults and about the need for the protagonists in YA novels to be the adult. And here we actually have a, a family structure that is that is quite sound. You know, his parents are not overly permissive. They're not overly strict. They're their own people. They love their kid. Um, They love each other and they have Mm self-respect. And I think that that's something that's really nice because it really does, especially in a context where they're poor, but they're poor and allowed to sort of keep up appearances along you know among like richer folk and and there is there's 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 some very fine finessing in there um very subtle code switching um and things like that that we get to see when halty goes to parties with uh, with his school friends and all that but it's never done in a in an overtly pedagogical way mm-hmm. you know like there was no moment where i was reading this and going like oh here's the lesson here it is you know yeah um except for the moments where um there were there was consent talk um and i noted those moments because they are absolutely wonderful um i think as someone who 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 works uh and and studies uh human sexuality i think 
any examples of positive consent and boundaries within relationships are so important. And we have some really great examples in this in this story. Yes. And that, I think, is a place that can bring us to Corinne, who is a character I appreciate very much. Now, I think I could talk for a full hour about Halti and his family, but, you know, we we only have so much time. So... That's fair. Let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about Corinne. So we meet Corinne very early. She is um, Alti's, um, Halti, sorry, um, you can see, you can hear my French. I cannot, <laughs> I was trying to figure out before this episode, I was like, how would you pronounce Henri if you're not pronouncing it Henri? Like, do you say Henry? That just doesn't feel right. I was, exactly. So I was like, do you say, like, I don't know, like, I'm sure, I anyway, I feel you on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but Corinne Troy is that's it so she is on the debate team with Henri and um, they you know she's she's a bossy type A perfectionist top of her class type of student um, and she's struggling socially which is a really nice thing to see um, not because I want people to struggle socially, but because when you generally get that type A kind of, you know, in the beginning, obviously you're not you're not 100% sure if she's going to be like just a side character or not, but to have that character be a bit, you know, a bit of a pest, and then all of a sudden I found myself falling in love with her because she is willing to get vulnerable. She's a character who's not afraid to express herself and to try different things and sometimes blackmail people, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> um, and she was such a lovely human. She feels like she feels like a lot of people that I know. Um, I I resonated very much with her character uh, as another kind of high performing nerd who struggled socially in high school, and. Um, one of the things that I love, love, love seeing about her and seeing appreciated about her in the book is her tendency to analyze and research everything. So when she has a decision to make, she's like, well, I was doing a bunch of internet research and what I found was X, Y, and Z. And I read in this and you know what? I went to Teen Vogue because Teen Vogue is one of the highest like one of the best like sources for this kind of things right now shout out to Lindsay Peoples Wagner (laughs) that is me that is how I do everything anytime I have a problem I am on Google I am finding every article related to it and it was so nice to see that in a character and see it like yes poked fun at a little bit which is totally fair but appreciated that appreciated and she gets to be unapologetically smart yeah and I think that that's really cool And, like, she has her system, which at first is kind of brought up as a bit, but then, like, gets appreciated, gets, you know, she's like, yeah, I I have a giant slide projector and I put up my flashcards on it because it's literally the only way I can learn. Like, she works so hard. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. She's great. She's she's a lovely character. Um, There's a trip to Montreal where we meet her aunt, who's her mom's twin sister, and, like, Oh, I think that made me love Corinne even more because obviously having a parent who's a twin, right, and uh, knowing that, like, her aunt played a significant role in her life, uh, you know, for, for quite some time as well, it's really it's really interesting, you know, like, to, to I've wondered a bunch of times, what's it like to have a twin? What's it like, you know, what would it be like to have, a chi- have children uh, who are mm-hmm. twins as a person who doesn't share exact DNA with another person and to see that there's 
it's a challenging relationship. It's mm-hmm. not the easiest of, 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 of sisterly relationships, but you understand it so well. And the characters are so well-defined about the ladies who, who raised Corinne mm-hmm. that you can see both of them in her so well, the structured, academic, and all that, but also the silly and wild kind of party girl. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I mean, I do want to talk about that romantic little trip to Montreal because it was really, it was really lovely. It made me fully like put the book down and stare out the window just like nostalgically remembering things <laughs> for like a good several minutes because I moved to Montreal as an 18 year old right <gasps> I moved I to Montreal that. for school and I had gone to Montreal on a number of trips that were like my grown up by myself trips mm-hmm. uh, and there was also a trip where I like got together with somebody for a brief surprisingly healthy summer fling And so I just, like, it was so that memory of, like, making a trip up to Montreal is, like, something teenagers do in Boston (laughs) and New York because you can drink in Montreal. Uh And, like, it was so special. I don't think I've never seen that in a book, but it's, like, something I've seen in my friends. It's, like, something we did. It was something we talked about. Um, And then having that memory of, like, going to Montreal and being like, oh, it's, like, this whole other city and it's kind of a different culture and it's kind of special. And just having lived kind of resentfully in Montreal for 11 years now, I just hadn't really thought about that feeling in a really long time. Um, But, like, yeah, remembering taking the train or the Greyhound because I was coming from Boston up and, like, that long trip and then you come out and it's, like this new place and you're like a different person and it's it was so fun yeah and i love that montreal is basically montreal serves as a character in the story Mm -hmm. right there's something really nice there there's something familiar for the characters since they're of haitian descent this is a bilingual city and i love hearing you know how it made you feel as someone who you know did this journey sort of this same way that the characters do um i'm a, i'm born and raised here um so montreal is my home and i'm very attached to it and i got like little shivers of like my city isn't a book mm-hmm. you know like my city is 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 in a ya book and it could have been indianapolis it could have been chicago it could have been anything but there's just something really uh, yeah, very warm soup feelings, you know, for me yeah. about like, about just seeing the magic of Montreal. Like, I mean, it's a city, obviously, that we love. And it's a very European type hipster city. But it's also an incredibly romantic city. Like Montreal, like, we like to we like to get down here. Like, there's a lot of dating. There's a lot of whining and dining. There's a, a lot of babies are born here or conceived here. I'll say two of my own. Um, Two of your own, and for those who aren't in relationships uh, where creating a human is possible, uh, I'm just going to say lots of attempts to do what the heteros do. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's 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 so romantic and sweet, and and talking about like you know walking around uh, the McGill campus, which is, you know, for me, it's my playground. Uh, I didn't go to McGill, but that's where I went to check out cute American boys when I was a teenager with my friends and, you know, just just like 
holding hands with someone while walking around that area is just, it's so cute. It got me right in the feels. Um, and it, it just like, I have a big old dumb smile on my face yeah. just talking about it. It's so lovely. I actually wrote down a quote from it because I wanted to remember it. Yes. Little, little quote about Montreal. Montreal is nothing like Manhattan. It's smaller and more concentrated. And unlike the city that never sleeps, Montreal feels like a city that's gotten a good night's rest and woken up in time for a bike ride alongside the St. Lawrence River. <laughs> Which, I mean, you know, is written like somebody who has not stayed up till five at an after hours bar in Montreal, which is also kind of a rite of passage. But still really nice for the vibe. I take it. I love yeah. it. It it does make me laugh that McGill is such a big a big spot here. And this yeah. is definitely obviously to cater to the American audience. Um, I think anyone who lives here, like, it's not that we stay away from McGill. It's just that it's become such an American hub um, and a hub of foreign students that, like, for a lot of locals, it's not necessarily as accessible <laughs> as we would like for it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It is, it is very funny to understand sort of the reading and the way that the folks in the U.S. look at it. That's kind of neat. I mean, I decided that I wanted to move to Montreal when I was 16 and I was up for my sister's wedding because she went to Miguel, so she's lived in Montreal for like 20 years. And um, after coming back from her wedding, which was somewhere outside of the city, uh, we were locked out of the apartment at like dawn. And for me, it was like walking through the streets and people still being up and it's still being like a lively, like city at three, four in the morning. And I was like, this is cool. I mean, this was near Mount Royal Metro, right? It was like right in the heart of the plateau um, when you could still afford to live there. And like, (laughs) I was just like, like for me as a 16 year old, I was like, this is so cool. Um, now, as an almost 30-year-old, you know, I've moved out to, like, what amounts to the suburbs, basically. Uh, and it's very nice, too. But, yeah, it was really nostalgic. It was. The only gripe I have, and I, mm. this is this is a gripe, like, only because I went to McGill. Only because I went to McGill. And it's, like, books have to be what they are, and it's not a serious, legitimate gripe in any way. But, God, I wish McGill had a cool textile design program. <laughs> Because I would have loved to be in that program. Uh, McGill has a great architecture program and like some graphic design in the communications department. But there is no magical. So if there's like a teenager listening who's like, that sounds great. I want to do textile design. If you want to do textile design, you're better off at Concordia, which is like down the street. It is. I mean, <laughs> Montreal is a small, small city. Honestly, so. like I would not at all be surprised if it was a kind of thing where like, it's like, oh, Concordia has a design program and the publishers like Americans don't know Concordia. Americans only know McGill. Yeah. But no. it just it just kept cracking me up a little bit because I like spent my time at McGill trying to find any arts classes to take. <laughs> Fair. Um, but actually talking about McGill brings me, uh, brings me, brings us. Come on. Come on, Caddy. Take it easy. Just to talking about just the code switching that happens in the book. And I think that that's really, I, I found it really interesting. You know, Altia and, and Corinne attend a, uh, a very diverse school, which is really interesting. Uh, and it is quite a strength in the book, I find, because you're reading the names of all their friends and you're like, oh, yes, like mm-hmm. their friends 
ends represent what I imagine New York to be. Um, it felt familiar because it also looks a lot like what my friend circle looks like. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's something about like the college race that really puts them in a situation of, you know, aiming for excellence, but in, in predominantly white institutions. And it's strange right to see them have to have to negotiate that a little bit and now alti is a like Henri is a very very charming character he can he can like charm the pants off anyone mm -hmm. um consensually obviously um but i thought it was interesting with corinne particularly um to see how the judgment is different because she's obviously a, a girl and she so she goes from corinne to corey back to corinne um, you know, within their, their social circles, um, when they get to, to Montreal, there's, you know, there's, there's talk about like universities and like being black there. And it's like, Hey, I'm looking at McGill, lots of black people. Nope. Mm -hmm. Um, versus Columbia and things like that. And, and I found that really interesting. It's like a fine way of talking about race without making it central mm -hmm. um which obviously ben philippe being um of of haitian origin as well um is really nice because we don't necessarily get a main story that is about like oppression and race and how you know young folks have to work really hard to make sure that affirmative action things aren't thrown into their faces and this and that but at the same time like this is ultimately like I, for me this is a book that talks a lot about race mm -hmm. in very subtle very very fine very elegant ways yes for sure again like I, I i really think that brings me back to what i love about this book is the subtlety um mm -hmm. with which things are just woven in so that you know them um yeah. without them being made super super explicit and uh Absolutely, the the conversation around race and class is excellent. Um, oh, very excellent! But just um, just woven in completely, completely seamlessly, as it is, you know, in life. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, I also like that we talk. Uh, you know, there's a lot of talk about about extracurriculars and having the right recommendation letters and all of this and the college admission process in the US which is obviously very different from here um, and from my own personal experience and it really like I had to sit with some uncomfortable feelings about the pressure for perfection mm -hmm. that teens and young adults are faced with in order to gain access to like social mobility basically <laughs> like yeah. it's wild because it's not just like yeah, it's not just how they present themselves in an interview. It's also like, as we've seen in 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 the past few years, you know, your social media can't be like you can't be a teenager on social media. Yeah, you have to make sure that you are irreproachable in mm -hmm. every aspect. You have to make sure that your curricular, your extracurriculars are at the top. You have to your grades, your this, your that. Mm -hmm. And I was just, I was tired. Yeah, <laughs> no. I was like, when do they get to get messy and and make mistakes and be kids? I applied because uh, I went to private school in the states, so I applied to both the American system and the Canadian system. And as a dual citizen, I applied as a citizen in, in both countries. And I, I did my McGill application like after I'd done my like 
brown and you know uh i think i applied Excuse to another me. ivy school oh yeah i didn't get in um, but uh, uh, no Tefer, let me live with the fantasy <laughs> that you got in and chose to come to montreal um because come on i got in i got into syracuse university um, which was high on my list, but ultimately it came down to money because yep. as a Quebec student, I pay much, much, much less. Yes. Um, but yeah, I remember, I mean, I went through this whole process of interviews and essays and tests and grades. And then when I got to the McGill application, it was like, here's the cutoff for getting in. Test scores, grades, submit yeah. your transcripts. And like, <laughs> it is... Reading this book, it just brought it all back. And I have to say, like, so for American listeners, because I think actually most of our listeners are American, the way university works in Canada is for the most part, you apply to the schools in your area and you kind of stay close to home and you go to whatever college is convenient unless you like really like if you have a field that you're super, super interested in, you might move to go there. Mm. Like my sister okay. went to McGill rather than University of Ottawa because she wanted to do sciences. Um, and the program at McGill is really strong. But like you don't really like, especially, I mean, this may, I've only lived in Montreal, so this may just be a Montreal thing, but you don't really like fly across the country because this school has the best whatever. You, you, nope. <laughs> you kind of you kind of just go to school, and like if your marks are above a certain cutoff, you get in, <laughs> and um, and that's just kind of how it works. Like it's really not this insane stressful pressure cooker, and that's the nice gift of socialized of like socially funded schools. Yeah, yeah. and it's even funnier when you consider that you know when when you're you grow up in Quebec, you go to school in French. Uh, yeah. Unless your parents have been to school in English, um, which means that there are less and less people that are going to that are doing their 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 academic careers in English. So it's really interesting because I was like, I never considered applying to an English university because I can't think academically that way. I have to think in French, and so it's really interesting when I I hear stories of you know the American process and all that, and I was like, oh wow, I just sent in a paper, like a literally a form. Yeah. And a check, obviously, because that's the same everywhere. Um, but oh. yeah, it was it was much simpler. And and you know, hats off to y'all Americans who go to college and pay off debt for the rest of your life. Oof, my heart goes out to y'all. Mm-hmm. There's yep. there's a better way, and in most of the rest of the world, it's what's happening. It's really it. I think I've been thinking so much about just like university as a whole. So the year that I applied for universities in the States was the highest volume of college applications ever. Like at that point, it may have gone up since then, but that was something that like they were really pounding into our heads was that this is the most competitive year there has ever been. Mm. <laughs> and just also like, like I think I really had it in my head, especially through college, everybody that everybody gets a bachelor's degree. And... It's the only option. Mm-hmm. And it's now being an adult, especially living in Quebec where we have the Sejep system, which I frankly think is a great system. And I kind of wish I had taken the opportunity to do a year of Sejep because I could have. I know so many adults who don't have bachelor's degrees or don't use their bachelor's degrees and are doing just fine. And I'm really curious to see if the inaccessibility of 
undergrad education as debts climb higher and higher starts to make uh, degrees a little bit less of a hot commodity. I'm really I'm really interested to see what happens in kind of the next couple of generations of university age students and if maybe this you know wildly competitive pressurized exhausting system can uh, can go the way of the dodo. I mean, it would be lovely. I mean, obviously, it's tied into it's tied into so much class stuff yeah. that's really complicated. And but at the same time, we do live in a YouTube world, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I've finally understood why YouTube serves a, a purpose, um, as I've been using it to 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 learn new skills and things like that. And it's incredible how much you can learn and especially for folks who are doing a lot of technical work a lot of uh, coding and things like that I mean yes sure a university can be useful for someone who 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 is happy learning that way Mm -hmm. and who is able to get that like the most out of that but there are folks who just need to try try again by themselves without being evaluated constantly and hopefully I mean I don't know enough about outcomes of university students versus versus self-learners but I would love to hope that we'll see a shift and maybe a bit more like a bit more democratizing of knowledge Mm -hmm. like I don't know maybe that's a thing we can strive towards just kind of bringing it back to the like immigrant family thing so here's a little anecdote from my personal life my dad was the first person in his family to go to college my dad immigrated to the states uh as a as a child um kind of only settled in the states as a youth actually grew up in new york city and uh cool my dad went to university and got his phd and was a professor for a while and then quit and did something else but that's a different story and so for him higher education was like super paramount my mom's dad was a was a university professor and like for generations back way back uh into the unsavory past it really got hammered into our heads that like you have to go to university it's super important I mean really like it was a little bit scandalous when we didn't go for master's degrees um, mm. which like several of us did not and and I remember my mom at one point <laughs> being like but wouldn't your sister be happier if she got a master's degree and me just being like I don't know mom you gotta like ask her because <laughs> she's making this choice um sorry wow rambling but then so there was my dad who like went all the way up and for him it was like this really big triumph and he really wanted all of us to have higher education and be doctors and professors and lawyers and stuff And then um, my dad's little sister, actually, who's my aunt, who, speaking of aunts who people are close with, I'm really close with. I love her and her husband very, very much. And uh, she started working at UC Davis as a secretary when she was 22 and stayed there for 40 years and ended up, you know, running the administrative wing of the law school at at (laughs) UC Davis. And um, now I'm working in an administrative role at a university. And it's just it's just funny to think about, you know, because it's like I think my aunt actually had a much more lucrative and stable career um, working working as an administrator. There is still time. Um, There is still time for. Oh, oh, why do you think I'm in an administrative role at a university? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I want to be just like her. But it's just really interesting to, to think about that and to see the differences in sort of the, the pressures my dad put on. And I think from my dad's side, we got the big school pressure. And from in my aunt's family, it was much more about like find a like steady career kind of thing. Mm. Anyway, it's just funny to think about. University is not all that important, kids. Don't tell your college counselor I told you that. <laughs> but also have fun and find ways to be kids and take yeah. care of yourselves and yeah all and, that fun stuff and college is fun like I really enjoyed doing my undergraduate degree I really enjoyed the little bit of grad school I did thinking about stuff is fun and learning about thinking about stuff is fun but then you are also in debt <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> um, folks obviously we love this book um it's great read it read it read it run out buy it read it make sure you buy it from like a cool place where you know people make money from it not just you know corporations um and make sure that uh ben philippe also feels your love uh shout him out on social media make sure mm -hmm. he gets your bucks i don't know this is just a good one follow him on twitter he's funny i uh i feel the need to point out swiftly that this book will not actually be released until october 13th um so you may want to pre-order we were very graciously granted an arc and got to read it in advance because we really wanted to. All right. Um, shall we wrap this up, Tefer? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at yapodcast. And individually, I'm at TeferBear. And I'm at Caddy double underscore D. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons, Catherine Reshi, Erica Stetchbury, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenhove, Chantal Thomas, Matt Dever, Megan Jane, and Emily Patton. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of the episode. Uh in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Tee Public. Yeah, get some. And you can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Uh, maybe a friend who... Um, maybe someone who's charming. Someone who's really charming. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. Also, if you follow Noah Van Orstrand on Facebook, he is doing a tune a day still, and it's really, really nice. It's one of the highlights of my day. Check it out. This episode was produced by Tefra Jemian. That's you. And edited by Tom Zalatni. Hi, Tom. As part of the Upward Network, you can find out about all the great shows on our network at upwardnetwork.com. That felt really weird. <laughs> I think it's just like, it, it, there's so much network and so much upward in that sentence that I just, I always stumble and get nervous. Anyways, bye-bye. I'm Tom Zalatni, executive producer of the Upford Network and host and producer of Up for Discussion, a podcast about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. But wait, isn't Up for Discussion a comedy podcast? It sure was, but things change. It's a food show now, and it's a very, very good food show. Every week, I dig into a different ingredient, dish, meal, or cuisine with help from friends and guest experts who know way more about this stuff than I do. Do you like food? Of course you do. You're a person. So you will like this show. 
Go listen to it. Wherever you get your podcasts. Up for discussion. It's a food podcast now. Brought to you by the Upford Network. Hi, I'm Howard Mitnick, host of Gateway Music. Join me as I talk with people about the artists and albums that changed their lives and about the artists and albums that changed mine. Available on the Upford Network and wherever you get your podcasts.